Uh, last week we started our, our sermon series talking about what does the Bible say about whatever the topic is that we're talking about that weekend. Um, and uh, last week was, was a tough one. If you were here, I'm, think, I'm thankful that you stuck it out with me, that we talked about abortion last week. And uh, so that was a really fun, easy topic to talk about. Uh, yeah, nobody burned my office down, and so that's exciting. Nobody egged my truck or anything like that, so that was, that was good. Uh, this week, uh, I wanted to talk about, because last week we established that we believe that uh, what is growing inside of, of a woman is life. It's a child, it's life, it's, it's, it's what's growing within her. We established that, so to, to terminate that is uh, equal to, uh, to murder, uh, but I also talked about why it's important to be patient with those people uh, who don't believe like we do just because of the way that they've been taught. Um, so, or if you're in this room and you don't believe like, like that, like we will be patient with you because we understand that you were taught the opposite of that, that life growing uh, within a woman is not life. Um, so this week we're going to talk about how that life gets there. Not everybody applaud at once, okay? <laughs> I know you've probably heard a lot of sermons, a lot of pastors talk about sex, and you're just like, man, I'm so excited to hear what this kid has to say. We're going to talk about the birds and the bees. Uh, that being said, if you have someone in this room that you don't want listening to a pastor talk about sex, now is the time when you encourage them to go somewhere else. So uh, we're not, I'm going to try to keep it PG, right? So we're not going to talk about some of the more explicit, you know, stories that we read in the Bible. We're going to try to just talk about what does the Bible say about sex. And so if it's embarrassing to you and you need to go, that's totally okay. Uh, let's talk about statistics, right? Because I'm, you know, that's how my mind works. I'm, I'm uh, statistically uh, analytic in a lot of ways. Uh, the Institute of Family Studies has been doing research since the 70s on, uh, they, they try to take as many people as they can. So about 14 to 15,000 people a year are admitting uh, to these uh, surveys and doing these things. Uh, this is, they did a, they've been doing a sur uh, survey since the 70s on sex outside of marriage and the effects it has on marriage. Now, this isn't a sermon on marriage per se, but uh, I'll stay focused to the, the part that is relevant to us. Okay, so uh, just talking in, in 2020, the last time they did the survey, 95% of people lose their virginity before they get married. 22% of people have been with one partner prior to marriage. 12% uh, of people have been with two partners prior to marriage. 11% of people, three partners. 18% have been with four to five partners. And 14% have been six to nine partners. And 18% of people have been with 10 plus partners prior to their marriage. Which means that if you were just to pick a random person off of the street and marry them, they're three and a half times more likely to have been with 10 partners than zero. The way our worldview sex is based on this belief that, that we are animals. We have evolved from animals. And so uh, this sexual desire that we have within us, that we just need to, to live that out. Whatever your fantasies are, we need to live that out. This is what the world teaches us. So uh, your desire to have sex is deeply animalistic and primal. And it should be pursued to its fullest extent. And no one should tell you that what you do is gross or weird. And uh, that being said, pornography is viewed by an average of 30,000 people per second. 30,000 people every second. 37 million people last year admitted to watching porn at work. 
Let that sink in. Yeah. Our world values sex above all else. It is impossible to watch any media outlet without seeing an unwanted ad over-sexualized person on, on either side, male or, or female. Um, the worldly belief of sex is that it should be free, consensual, and free from judgment. Whatever someone else is into and whoever they're into, uh, it should be pursued. We as a society, not as a church, we as a society, we applaud their lewd acts, and we fund them, we watch them, and we participate in them ourselves. We encourage our kid, uh, college-age kids to go and explore their bodies and other people's bodies. Our society in America and the world continues to grow more sexually confused and deviant as it encourages every person to live out their fantasies regardless of the consequences that it has in their lives. Is that an accurate statement? Okay. So knowing that, knowing how the world views sex, that it, there's no such thing as, as, as bad sex, wrong sex, evil sex, it's all okay because we're animals, we evolved from animals, and that's the natural consequences is who we will be. But we have to ask, what is the Bible? Again, that's our sermon series. What does the Bible say about sex? And it might surprise you that God has a lot to say about sex. Even in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. He created them just as they were. He created them to to fit together, that the two shall become one. In Genesis 2, which is literally the second chapter of the Bible, like you open up the beginning, he tells us that they were naked and unashamed. In the Garden of Eden, they were naked and unashamed. So they never wore clothes, and they enjoyed each other's company. In the Garden, their relationship was perfect, and they had no reason to be ashamed. One man, one woman, no sin, paradise. This is God's intention for sex. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Naked and unashamed, one man, one woman, married, no sin, paradise. Paradise between one man and woman who are devoted to each other. That's it. So with that as our baseline, uh, we need to understand that we have an entire book of the Bible devoted to a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Did you know that? It's called the Song of Solomon. Probably don't hear a whole lot of sermons out of the Song of Solomon, uh, but it's, it's a song that goes back and forth between a husband and a wife. And there's, I don't know, there's, there's some other people that are there cheering them on, but not, not while they're doing it, of course, but like encouraging their song. Like, yeah, go guys, you're so devoted to each other. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, this, so this is a, a Song of Solomon. This is chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. This is what it says. Uh, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see uh, whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes blossom have opened and pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. It is God's gift to your marriage for you both to be attracted to each other. This is God's gift to you. Uh, this seems like they have a pretty uh, promiscuous uh, relationship between the, the two of them if they're going out into the fields to pursue those things. But again, if, if, if the married couple is, is alone, uh, God is, uh, he glorifies that. So he, we have an entire book of the Bible devoted to this relationship. So some people, you know, I understand that for, for a long time, we didn't talk about this stuff in church right? If you've been coming to church for 50 years, you've probably never heard a pastor talk about sex this, this openly. But 
we have to combat what the world is teaching. When the world teaches us what sex is for, uh, what we should be pursuing with sex, we have to say, we have to ask the question, what does the Bible say? And so I apologize if I offend you today, but I just want you to know that, again, we're just getting wisdom from the Bible. What should we do with uh, sex? So God created sex for three reasons. For procreation, for relation, and recreation. Uh, We know the natural effect of a husband and wife being intimate with each other. Uh, Just when all things are, are working properly, that creates babies. I am amazed as a pastor who does counseling, uh, how many people will say to me, we don't know how it happened. <laughs> I, oh, she's pregnant. How did it happen? <laughs> well, do you want me to tell you? Because like, you should have learned this a long time ago. Like this is like, you're an adult. Uh, yeah, and, and last week we, we talked about, uh, you know, like uh, the abortion percentage and things like that. And that's one thing that, you know, they'll often say is, oh, we can't believe that, you know, pursuing this primal instinct that it created life within her. And we need to understand that every time that we have sex, when we are in the, the age that we can still uh, procreate, every time that we have sex, it's, it's, it's a possibility. Every time. That's the way that God made it. He made it. Uh, he made us that way. He told Adam and Eve to multiply, and they seemed to have a good time doing that. He told Noah and his family to go forth and multiply, and, and it's one thing that he just kept telling the people, and we've been multiplying ever since. So we understand, we understand how procreation works, and I don't think I have to explain to you guys, but if you have any questions, ask your spouse or <laughs> ask your mom or dad, okay? Uh, so the second reason God created sex was for uh, the relational bond it creates between a husband and a wife. Um, how do we know, no pun intended, that God created sex to be relational in marriage? Of course, I'm your pastor, so I'm going to tell you. Uh, what word in the Old Testament primarily do they use for when a husband and wife are intimate with each other? No. K N. O-W, or they knew each other in the past tense. That's relational, to know each other, to be intimate with your spouse. It's the most uh, intimate thing that you can do because, again, most of the time you're naked and together. You are literally bearing all in front of each other. So this is to know one another. Genesis 4.1, the man knew his wife, she conceived. Genesis 4.17, Cain knew his wife, she conceived. Genesis 4.25, Adam knew his wife again. She gave birth to a son. 1 Samuel 1.19, remember we, on Mother's Day we talked about Hannah. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her and she conceived. Nothing in life is more intimate than being intimate. Nothing in life is more intimate than knowing each other biblically. And knowledge is power and it can be dangerous, which is why it is confined to a husband and a wife only. It is difficult to trust someone enough to know them. And this is why the Lord wants all knowing to be done in marriage. It is safe, safer for the woman. It is safer for the man. It is safer for the child. Do we agree to that? Yes? No? Maybe? This is what it means for the two to become one flesh, to know each other the most vulnerable and relational way. 
when we choose to take off all of our clothes and bear with uh, each other, we uh, recreate the Garden of Eden to be naked and unashamed. And again, the only way to do that is to be in uh, a marital relationship where you're devoted to each other. You have to be devoted to one another in order to recreate Adam and Eve. They, they were blessed in the sense of um, they didn't have anybody to take their eyes off of each other. They only had each other. And when God, that's the way that God tells us to view our marriage, to only have eyes for each other. And if we can do that, then we can recreate the relationship that they had in the Garden of Eden. And we'll, we'll talk about that more here in a second. Okay, the third reason that God created sex was for recreation in marriage. Is when it's going to get steamy. So, okay, you guys ready? <laughs> Woo, the fans are already out, I see. We're getting ready for this. So this is Proverbs 5. Again, this is from the Bible. This is, I'm not making this up. Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Uh, a lot of Proverbs, if you didn't know this, it's a, it's a father. He's telling his son, hey, this is how to live the best life. This is how to live a godly life. And he's trying to encourage him to have healthy relationships and especially a healthy marriage. This is what he says. Again, this is Proverbs 5, if you're taking notes, verses 18 and 19. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. My dad never told me that. I'll tell you that much. Again, this, is, this isn't a, a controversial stand. This isn't me up here, you know, preaching from, from a book that some other guy wrote. This is the Bible, and he's telling us, hey, men, be delighted by your wife's breasts. Can I get an amen? Okay. Uh, amen, right? Hallelujah. I've been waiting to hear a pastor say that for 60 years. Yeah. So if you wonder why your husband is always attracted to you, always trying to like touch you and, and everything like that, it's biblical. It's right there, okay? Uh, God wants you to have fun knowing each other. This is uh, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a little limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So you belong to your spouse and your spouse belongs to you. This is, again, this is the healthiest way to have a relationship where you decide, you both have to decide as individuals, my body is not my own, my body is now my spouse's. And she has to decide that as well. My body is no longer my own, my body belongs to my spouse. You have to trust and believe that this dance, it's this dance in marriage of trusting your spouse that they would have your best interest at heart. Which brings me to a point I want to be very clear on. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, it is our goal to become more and more selfless, right? More and more selfless. We care more about others than we care about ourselves, and our sex life should be no different. Philippians 2, verses uh, 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So if we want to have a godly 
sex life, and our marriage, our ultimate goal is not that our needs would be met, but our spouse's needs would be met. Again, nobody ever told me that growing up. Nobody ever told me that in church. Yes, I understand that you have needs, but so does your spouse. And the more Christ-like we become, the more we care about our spouse's desire and the less we care about our own. Again, this requires an immense amount of trust because there will be seasons where you don't want to you know, know each other all the time. Right? Am I, am, I getting too, am I getting too close to home? Okay, uh, just... There are going to be seasons in your life that when you are de- devoted to each other, dedicated to each other, just purely hypothetical, like you have a baby and, you know, your emotions are, are, are weird and your hormones are all out of place, but, you know, your husband's needs don't change, but you're not really feeling it. Those seasons are tough, and you got to ride through those together. Or maybe when you get later in life and, and your body as a man it starts to not work like it used to, and you re- require some, some help. There are seasons of life that both of you, it's, it's difficult to know each other. And just, I, I want you guys to believe that that is normal and it is okay. But don't live in that season forever. Do what it takes to get out of that season. There will always be seasons in your life where it is difficult. Uh, Be patient, be selfless, be kind, serve your spouse, meet their needs. Um, And it's hard because there will be seasons that you will serve them when your needs aren't being met. But it should not be that way forever. Okay, the only sex that is wrong in God's eyes is sex with anyone who isn't your spouse. I'm going to say that again. The only sex that is wrong in God's eyes is sex with anyone that isn't your spouse, watching it, listening to it, participating in it, sex with anyone who isn't your spouse. Now, the Bible doesn't expressly say that you can't have sex by yourself. There's not a passage that says, hey, don't do that. But this is what Jesus says. He says, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can also switch that around. It said, if you're a woman, you know, it's not just men that struggle with, you know, lustful thinking. So uh, it doesn't say that, that you shouldn't have sex by yourself, but I don't believe it's possible to have sex by yourself without lustful intent in your heart. So don't do it, because that's what God says. God says, don't do that. The only sex that is good in God's eyes is sex with your spouse. So let's do a quick lightning round, because I can see you guys are just really excited to participate in this. Okay, okay, I'm going to say a scenario, and you're going to say yes if it's biblical sex or no if it is unbiblical, okay? Everybody, are we ready? I'm going to say a scenario, yes for biblical sex, no for unbiblical. Are we ready? Okay, having any sexual relations with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Correct, okay. Having any consensual relations with your spouse? Yes. Yes, okay. Non-consensual sex in marriage? No. No, correct, yeah. Pornography? No. No, okay. Doing literally anything with your spouse, just the two of you that you both agree to? Yes, Yes. amen, hallelujah. So the only way to have a sexual relationship with someone in a healthy, God-honoring way is to have it with your spouse and your spouse alone.
Right? So why do we have sex with other people? <laughs> we know that to be true. We're like, yep, I'm all on board. That's what we know. And yet, infidelity rates are insanely high. Even in this church, some of us have had, you know, affairs. And, you know, those are things that we've had to work through if we stayed in our marriage or maybe it caused a division in our marriage, a divorce in our marriage. So can spouses forgive each other when there's been an, uh, an affair? Yeah, but it, man, it's hard. And it takes time to heal. It takes time to regain that trust. And again, we talked about those seasons of intimacy. Man, look, once, once that, that has happened and, and you understand that your marital vows have been broken, it takes time to heal from that. And again, I want to give you permission if that has happened to you, if you're maybe currently in that season where you're trying to forgive your spouse for something that they've done, just it, it's okay to take time, but I highly encourage you to communicate to your spouse what's going on in your heart so they're not left in the dark. God's laws in regards to sex isn't restrictive as some people would claim, okay? I hear a lot of people complain about how God shouldn't be able to tell us what we do with our bodies. God shouldn't be able to tell us what we do. I disagree. He made us. He made us to worship him. And he gives us the choice to honor him with our bodies or not. He gives us complete freedom to do what he says or not because he loves us. If we follow God's law, listen carefully to this. I know it's, it's not something that is, is in the Bible specifically, but just if we follow biblical law, if we follow God's law, every sexually transmitted disease would be gone in one to two generations. My friend is a doctor, and I'm not going to say his name, but he says about 50% of the people that he treats at his, uh, his office are for STIs or STDs. He's in a college town, so I mean, it blew my mind. When like people just come in and go, hey, I got another flare up. I need some more meds. And they're just so transparent about their sin. If we only had one sexual partner and every, that would mean that every pregnancy would be had in a lifelong committed marriage. Again, our abortion rates would plummet and every child would be born with a father and a mother which all data shows is the biggest contributing factor to success in the life of a child. In spite of all of the data that they've tried to say that, you know, it's, it's a, a woman can do it alone or a man can do it alone, the highest contributing factor to a child's success in life is having both a father and a mother. And again, if, if you grew up in a single-parent home or if you were a single parent, this isn't con condemnation whatsoever, but we have to, again, we have to believe that when God said that this is the best way to live life, that he meant it. I'm also convinced that if we are completely devoted to our spouses, we would invest more time into them and we would change ourselves for the better. If we invested, if we truly believe that we were uh, devoted to our spouse for a lifetime, we would invest into them more and we would change ourselves for the better. That's a different sermon for a different day, but the reason that there's so much infidelity 
is because we see that sometimes that the grass is greener on the other side. And I like to say, well, the grass is greener on the other side because somebody watered it. Somebody kept that lawn. Somebody kept it. So as a man or a woman, are you, are you watering your lawn? Are you investing in your spouse? Okay, what about, those, what about those of us who have sexual sin in the past? What do we do with that? Uh, yes, our decisions we made in the past emotionally scar us and possibly prevent us uh, from being the spouse that we want to be, but God has already forgiven you for, for those sins. It's hard because I, I feel like often we don't forgive ourselves. And sometimes we, we come into the, the marital bed and, and we have a lot of emotional baggage that we've brought with us. We need to forgive ourselves and we need to forgive our spouses. Sometimes uh, when we're intimate with our spouse, we feel a hint of guilt. And I want you to know that that guilt is completely from the enemy. God wants you to have a healthy sex life with your spouse. He wants you to be intimate. He wants you to know each other. You aren't used goods or whatever you keep telling yourself. You are a child of the king and a devoted spouse, and I pray today is the day you forgive yourself for whatever happened to you in the past. And for those of you who are sexually abused and have a difficult time overcoming that hurt, and sometimes that leads to intimacy issues with your spouse, whatever happened to you wasn't your fault. And you might have to tell yourself that 20 times a day. It wasn't my fault. When somebody else chose to hurt you or do something to you that was not your choice, that, that was not your fault. I, I'm so sorry that someone did that to you. Take all the time you need to heal, but again, I would highly encourage you to be honest with your spouse and probably a licensed counselor. Sometimes it takes years for this stuff to come back up that happened to us in our past. But again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Okay? Are we together with that? Okay, the more honest you can be with your spouse about your sex, uh, the healthier your love life will be. So let them in to whatever you're dealing with emotionally. It is, it is really difficult sometimes if you are often the pursuer and your spouse is often the person that's putting up walls and you feel like it's because you're not attractive enough or you know, whatever it is that, that, that creates within you. So if you as a spouse, if, if you're putting up walls, you, you got to be honest about why they're there. Hey, I'm not feeling it because I just had this memory from something that happened to me in the past and it's hard for me to want to. And again, that, that's okay, right? We have to believe that within ourselves. It's okay to not be okay all the time, but we have to be able to communicate with our spouse why we're not okay. Amen? We have to be able to communicate that with each other or else we'll think that, you know, if, if it's on your side, you'll think it's about you. Man, it's my fault. I did something wrong. This was on me. Be honest with your spouse so you can deal with it together. Don't be ashamed. Let them in and let them love you. Surprisingly, the Bible does say a lot about sex. And whether you follow God's commands for sex, uh, it's not completely dependent on whether you truly believe. It's completely dependent on whether or not you truly believe that he gets to tell you what you can and cannot do with your body. 
and I and I and I I'm telling you this as as a guy who made bad decisions when I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s. Not a lot of them, but enough to know that it creates an emotional scar, it creates emotional unhealthiness within you that makes it difficult to be completely invested in marriage. And this again goes all the way back to the garden. God gave them one rule and they broke it. God gives us one rule, only have sex with your spouse, and yet we break it. The question is, do you want to live in the Garden of Eden in marital sex, or do you want to, be, do you want to live outside those walls? And only you can make that decision for yourself. But the beauty of Christ's work on the cross is that all of our sins from the past are gone. Whatever mistakes that we made, either in previous marriages or outside of marriage, whatever mistakes that we made, we are made new. And I want you to have that freedom in, the, in your life with your spouse. That you don't have to hold the weight of all the bad decisions you made in the past. I'm going to call the the worship team back up here. There's so much pain in this world. We put expectations on ourselves and upon others. And just remember that in all things, don't judge other people. (laughs) That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus. However, we are a family. And Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them with the spirit of gentleness. If you know anyone that is on the path to having a marital affair, please, please talk to them about it in a loving, kind, patient, gentle way. This is the way that we prevent ourselves from having affairs, is by being honest with our friends and our family about what's going on in our lives and what we see. Especially if you're a person that's had one in the past, you can say, hey, man, I know, I know it's tough because I, I've been there, I've had those desires. Uh, but this is what happened to my life when I chose to follow through with the, what those desires were. Have those, have those uh, conversations. Have fun with your spouse. Enjoy each other each day. Long for each other. Uh, learn more and more how to meet your spouse's needs so they feel loved, respected, and wanted. God created sex to be a wonderful experience between two people for a lifetime. Don't let the enemy ruin the beauty of God's creation. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we know that sometimes these, uh, these topics can be tough because the world says the opposite of what you say. But God, we just want to know what you say so that we can live that way. God, I just ask that you would continue to restore our relationships with our spouses so that we could live in the garden. And God, for those of, of us who are here today who aren't married, that we would look forward to that day either that we are united with you for all eternity or that we are united with someone here on earth again to live in complete, unashamed love with our spouse. So God, help us to pursue each other more and more each day and help us to pursue you as well. God, let our marriage and our sex life and everything that we do preach the gospel. So God, we just ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.